Let's pray. God, I thank you for the grace you've provided in Christ, and I pray that we would have an eye to see your victory and what you've accomplished on our behalf, and may we have a right response of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the text that I've been assigned for this evening comes from 1 Corinthians, so if you'd open up 1 Corinthians 15 in your word, if you have that with you or it's up on the screen possibly, don't quote me on that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, which reads, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more time. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make two points tonight, a major point and a more minor point. The first point is God gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the minor point, number two, we give thanks to God in response to that. So point number one. God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are a needy people. We are people who are receivers, and we um, do nothing of our own accord. We are people who need a heavenly Father who gives, and we know that our God is a good heavenly Father who gives. We know from the Word it's very clear that He is He is um, He is our heavenly Father, the Father of lights who gives every good and perfect gift, and it comes down to us. Paul asks an interesting question in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, um, Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you've received it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? So rest assured that all of this, including the victory that we're going to get into later, there's so many things that we could say, we have received this from our Father um, that we don't even have the time to get into um, but all of it comes from him. So let's uh, first consider the victory that Christ has won on our behalf. Point one, number one, Christ's victory over sin on the cross. Let's start there. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, the text that we're in, that Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Similarly, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13b through 14, Paul says, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If you remember when Jesus was crucified up above his head, he had a placard, it was a sign that said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was written in Aramaic and Greek and in Latin. So that the crowd around him and the passers-by that would go by would be able to see what crime he committed that would be worthy of that. Him hanging on the cross. And so this record of debt that we all have, this sin that we bear, that list grows daily. And Christ Jesus took it and he canceled it if we trust in him. And it is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. It is gone. <clears throat> John 19.30 talks about Jesus' final saying on the cross. He says, it is finished literally in the Greek, paid in full. It is done. So Jesus was victorious over our sin at the cross. The second thing, 
Christ Jesus was victorious in his resurrection. We read on in 1 Corinthians 15.4. It says that Jesus was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 is like known as the resurrection chapter in Paul's writings. Um, there's a teaching in the Corinthian church at that time, obviously because Paul is addressing it, that people were saying there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul hits that head on and he's like, Corinthians, do you not see the downstream effect of that errant doctrine that no one raises? Because if no one raises from the dead, that means Christ didn't raise. And in verse 14, he says, and if Christ hasn't raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, he says, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So that record was not canceled, Corinthians, you are still in your sins. In verse 19, he goes on to say, we are then of all people most to be pitied. But Paul says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So Christ Jesus is victorious over death through his resurrection. There's so many different things we could talk about in this gospel timeline of things. We could talk about his victorious appearance to all the people he appeared to before he ascended. We could talk about his ascension up into heaven. But if we were to fast forward to his victorious session where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he's ascended and he's seated. Let's look to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Unlike the high priests who were in the temple daily doing the sacrifices over and over and over, and the blood would flow and flow, but Christ had only to do it one time. And then his work was done. He could sit down on the throne. And then it goes on to say, waiting on the throne, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So Jesus is victorious in his session. Moving on, Jesus is victorious in his return. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. If we picture Jesus in his, in, uh, he has come back as that picture in Revelation 19 of him on the white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth, victorious. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is victoriously coming back. Next point, Christ is victorious over the nations. We think in Psalm 2, that famous passage, why do the nations rage and the people's plot a vain thing? You fast forward to verses 8 and 9. The father says to the son, because that's who is speaking in that, in that psalm, the father says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth I will make your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Similarly, in... 1 Corinthians 15, 24, there's similar language that says basically the same thing. 
talking about the timeline of human history, it says, then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom of God, uh, uh, the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. It will be destroyed. Next, we see Christ's victory over those who do not believe. We see in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about in the end there will be the separation of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are the believers who have trusted in Christ by faith alone. The goats are those who do not believe. And it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Similarly, in Revelation 20.15, and we say all this soberly, we know people who are not in Christ and so this victory is not the kind of victory where we're like, look at us. You guys didn't believe. It's not like that. We soberly read these texts, and this is what the Lord says, so we go through it. Revelation twenty fifteen. and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So Christ's victory over those who do not believe. We also see Christ's victory over Satan and demons. In Revelation 20.10, it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And lastly, we end on Christ's victory over death. And this is in the scope of the text that we're in in 1 Corinthians 15. If we look at Revelation 20, it's interesting how it says in verse 14, at that time, at the end, death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So you have death, the state of death, and Hades, the place of the dead, synonymous with each other, both, both thrown into the lake of fire, and death will be no more. Though death has reigned since Adam and will go all the way to the end of the world, it will finally be thrown into the lake of fire to be no more. It says in, oh, that wonderful text in chapter 21, it says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. It's a good text to go through. 1 Corinthians 15, in the text we're in, the chapter we're in, verse 26, it says in the order of things, <clears throat> the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then it, <clears throat> excuse me. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 55, that great crescendo leading up to the pinnacle of, of Paul's section here in this resurrection chapter, he's talking about the resurrection of our bodies from the, the perishable to the imperishable. He says in verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? In reading this, it made me think back, if you remember on, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah's on top of Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Remember that? And he's up there, and the prophets of Baal and him are in this contest. They put an a animal on the altar, and call upon, each would call upon their gods, and the one who brought down fire from heaven, that was the true and living God. And so there's that awesome part where it says, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is your God. Either he's musing, 
or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and you need to wake him. So there's this sense of just the mocking of death at the end of all things. Oh, death, where is your victory now? Where is your victory now? Death, where is your sting? So this is just a small portion of things that Christ is victorious over. But the text just doesn't say that Christ is victorious. It says God who gives us the victory. Well, how does he give us the victory? And the answer is has to do with the doctrine of the union we have with Christ. We have lots of texts in Scripture where it says in Christ or with Christ. Okay, so just a taste of them. There's so many and there's so little time. But Romans chapter 6, we see, do you not know that all of us who were baptized were baptized into Christ Jesus? I'm sorry, all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we'll surely be um, united in a resurrection like his. We love that text in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet it's not I, but Christ lives in me. We're united with Christ. We also see in the scriptures that we're also seated with Christ right now with Christ. We see in Ephesians 2, 7, it says, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It says in Colossians that we're going to return with him. Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. We see that we'll judge with him. He says to, in, to the Corinthians, do you not know that we are to judge angels? It says at the end of Romans Chapter In the very last chapter of Romans, verse 20, it says, The God of peace, and this is a great benediction, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet because we have been victorious in Christ. And then we will also reign with him. It says in 2 Timothy 2.11 that if we endure, we will also reign with him. To the Laodicean church, uh, in Revelation 3.21, it says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So the, the takeaway is because we are united to Christ, his victory is our victory. We are in him, and we have the victory. So that's point one, the major point. The minor point is our response. That's the first part of our text, which is gratitude, it's thankfulness. Again, our text reads, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God. So it starts with the word but, which makes you want to look back naturally to the text right before it. Remember, he just said, oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And verse 56, which is that preceding text, says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Prior to being in Christ, we were, un- we were all under the law. And under the law, we were under total condemnation. And this victory, when it came to us, it took us out of a state of being under the law, and now we were underneath grace. And so that, that um, if you picture the, if you picture, uh, what's the word? You picture death as like a scorpion or a bee, Sin is the stinger on the back, and Christ just ripped it right out. 
And there is no longer any sting of death for us. So Paul is saying, in effect, the real reality of things to the unbelievers, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but for us. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what what this should cause in us is thankfulness. This should cause a a lot of things in us. I just went over a ton of indicatives with you guys about what Christ Jesus has done, and you did nothing. Nothing. We did nothing. He was the victor. Um, But what does that look like in response? It, It definitely looks like gratitude. And we can go to the verse after this. It says, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We don't have time for all of that. But it at least means we're thankful for what Christ has done for us. And so, to wrap up, um, to the unbeliever, if anyone is here who is not in Christ Jesus, if you're not united with Christ, what that literally means is that you are still in your sins. And there is uh, a record of debt that is attached to you that is daily getting longer, that is increasing your guilt before a holy God And this is bad news. I've already read your end. Your end is to be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. But the good news is is that today is the day of salvation if you repent and believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. I have read to you from top to bottom all the things, and there's more that he was victorious in. That was so much a part of what we call the gospel. It is the good news that Christ came and did all of this for us. And if we put our trust in this Christ, he will forgive us of all of our sins and cancel our debt. And he will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And we will bear it no more. So I urge you to trust in Christ. To the believer, my exhortation is that you continually come back to the scriptures and you recount and you remember all of these things and you meditate often on them. Your position in Christ is fixed Your union with Christ is unbreakable. So go and cultivate thankfulness. An unbeliever who maybe trusts in Christ tonight, and believer who already trusts in Christ tonight, we can say, as the hymnist wrote, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Romans 8, 31 to 39 touches on a lot of different things that I talked about so far, and I'll end with this. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. And hear this, no. 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we have to add this. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can rest and trust in the finished work of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If it were up to us, Lord, we would be, we would be lost forever. We would be those in, amongst the goats cast into the lake of fire. But because Jesus is strong, and we are not strong, because Jesus is strong and he is the Savior, if we trust in you, we are not. We are not going to be cast out. We will be with you forever and we will praise your name forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.